Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to Living With Endo, the A to Z of endometriosis. Lovely to meet you. My name is Ellie Angel Mobs. I'm the host of this little podcast and proud ambassador for Endometriosis Australia. We are all about having conversations and raising awareness for the one in nine who battle this debilitating disease. I'm going to introduce you to our next endo champion. Her name is Charlotte Dallison. She's a freelance writer, author, and vintage fashionista. Now, she's got an amazing book dropping November 28, which is called How to Be Fabulous. And it's all about wearing secondhand style on a budget. <sighs> that word budget is so important when it comes to being an endo patient because, let's face it, this disease can financially really affect you. And any way that you are able to save money is a huge, huge help. So Charlotte can help with that and make you look good as well. She's battled endo since she was 15, finally getting diagnosed over a decade later. It's such a common story that it takes so long to get answers as to what's going on in our bodies. Now, her endo symptoms were so severe that it affected her work, leading to a career change that turned her life around for the good. So enjoy this inspiring episode with Charlotte. Hey, Charlotte. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Lovely to chat to you. My pleasure. I love this podcast. It's taught me a lot. So it feels really exciting to be on it. So you have uh, quite a, an incredible story to share about having endo, but you're also a writer. You've run your own business. You're into fashion. So there's so much to unpack during this episode. Yes. <laughs> now you moved to Australia. I'm from New Zealand originally. I grew up there and I've since lived all over really. I've lived mainly in Sydney for my sort of adult life, mm. but I've also lived in Italy and in the UK oh. and in Melbourne. So a bit of everything really. And <laughs> yeah. you're about to jet set over to America soon. Yes, I'm about to move to Los Angeles for love and for career. It's all very exciting. I'm kind of like ready for the next chapter. A lot of interesting chapters to get through with you, Charlotte. Chapter number one, tell us about your endometriosis experience. When did you first hear about it? Well, it's really weird because I went to an all-girls school and we would sometimes have like talks at school. Mm. You know how like sort of random people would come and talk about something. Oh, and yes. I remember having having this like talk about endometriosis and it was the first time I'd ever heard about it. But I just had this like kind of intuitive feeling like, oh, I have that. And I must have been about 15 and I was already on the pill despite like not needing to um, mm. for, you know, protection. And it was kind of that era where like anything wrong with with your like reproductive health, the GP would just put you on the pill. Mm. And I just remember being like, oh, that's what I have. That's why my periods were like so awful. Um, but yeah, but then about 10 years later, I'd been on the pill for 10 years, obviously. And I was like, I don't know if this is really agreeing with me. And I'd just broken up with someone. So I was like, I might as well just sort of try not being on this. Mm. And it took me a really long time to wean off it and kind of, you know, re-regulate. But I wasn't really um, totally regular. And I started going to a doctor kind of like every month with the same complaints. And she was really great about it, but mm. there sort of wasn't much she could do, obviously. Um and we were talking about other options, but then I moved to Melbourne for work. So I sort of had to start the whole like medical practice 
or medical cycle rather again. Mm. Yeah, it's like, like dating trying to, to find a, doctor a and... good doctor. It's always a bit of fun. I know, exactly. I had to leave my lovely Sydney doctor and then come get some, you know, random new Melbourne doctor. But actually I found a really good doctor in Melbourne as well. So I am lucky. I did find good GPs. But again, there was only so much they could do in their like normal GP office to help other than put you on something like the pill. Mm. Um, so it was it was kind of like what am I supposed to do and meanwhile I was getting kind of sicker and sicker like my periods were getting worse and worse and at the time I was working as an interior designer actually I'm one of these people who did like a lot of things in my 20s and I was working in a kind of female dominated office which was fab and kind of supportive with this sort of problem but at the same time I still felt bad all the time like having to go to the doctor and you know, leaving work early mm. and being energetic one week and then the next week just being in this like slump and this fog. Mm. And, you know, it's obviously such a difficult thing to live with, but I also feel for like employers, like mm. it's a difficult thing to kind of predict to an extent. Yeah. So it can get very hard if you don't I, have a supportive yeah. workplace. Exactly. But even within that supportive workplace, it wasn't necessarily my boss. She was very supportive, but I think my colleagues, some of them were a bit like, oh, Charlotte's going to the doctor again. And I was mm. like, I wouldn't be going if I didn't have yeah. to. Like, I'd much rather be here. I don't want to be forking out money to go to the doctor. Trust me, I'd much prefer to be working. Yeah, exactly. I'd rather stay here and then go for drinks with you guys after work. So you're 15. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? The doctor puts you on the pill, which a very similar story to me where the doctors started, you know, putting me on treatment so young and you look back and go, oh, was that yeah. the right thing to do? Why did they initially put you on it? Was that to help get your periods all sorted because they were so painful? Yeah, they were so painful and so heavy and like debilitatingly so, like I could barely kind of be upright. It was crazy. I mean, I feel so sort of sorry for my little teenage self, um, having to deal with that and the pain was intolerable but yeah they just sort of put me on this pill and it took them a while to figure out one that wasn't making me feel sick mm. they were making me feel really nauseous but yeah it was ridiculous was your in hindsight. school <laughs> life affected as well not only academically but also socially because of the pain well I don't know if it was so much actually beforehand I mean to an extent yes um you know, definitely if you like had your period and it was PE or something, you'd be like, oh no, what am I going to do? And all of that sort of stuff. Um, I also, I did go to an all girls school, which again, kind of helped. I think actually what affected me in hindsight was being on the pill. Like it made me like sort of mildly depressed, <laughs> yeah. which isn't really my nature. And in hindsight, I find that like more problematic in a way than the actual symptoms of endo, you know, because the pill was suppressing those symptoms, but it wasn't agreeing with me in other ways. So that was really hard. It makes me kind of upset that I like lived. I, it's almost like I had PMS all the time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but also... <laughs> It was kind of the norm. It was quite interesting now that I look back on school as well and it was just ingrained in your in your brain that a period was going to be painful and you just kind of sucked it up and that was it. Yeah, exactly. And the kind of emotional thing that came with it, you just sort of suppressed that as well mm. or you were like hysterical. It was sort of, yeah, it was bizarre. <laughs> so when were you officially diagnosed with endometriosis? 
So back sort of, you know, 10 years later in Melbourne, going to this GP, I finally was like, look, I need to get the surgery. Um, and my GP referred me to a really great gynecologist there. And, but I hadn't had private health insurance. So I had to go through that whole kind of, you know, paperwork stuff, which took a while. Um, but I had my first surgery actually right on the cusp of the pandemic kind of breaking out mm. it was March 2020 and that one was in the public system actually and because of what was happening all around and because of how hospitals were having to prepare I was it felt very rushed mm. but that surgery did um, diagnose it which was a relief but also like you know quite upsetting but I was also grateful to have had that surgery which is elective Mm. another thing I find ridiculous before before that all broke up but then I had another private surgery that same year in about October maybe and that one really kind of made a big difference and really sort of solidified everything. Mm. What did they discover if you don't mind me asking I'm always amazed to hear where the endo has ended up in someone. (laughs) Well my endo it's sort of like confetti like it's like little bits of endo everywhere it was definitely on my bladder, which explained why I needed to, I felt like I needed to pee for like two years. So that was kind of transformative when that was removed, but also like, you know, crazy to think about it. It was like mind boggling and, you know, sort of disturbing. I was like, oh God, that's horrible. But mm. yeah, I don't know if having little deposits is better or worse. It's kind of neither, I suppose. But yeah, that's how mine is basically. Well, everyone's pain is different as well because someone may have stage four endometriosis, someone may have stage one, you know, all of the different staging, Mm. but it may present differently. For example, uh, I've got stage four and I know I had a mate who had stage one and she was in more, you know, pain in the fetal position, so to speak, that I sometimes was. So it was kind of like there's no correlation between the rankings. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I have stage four as well, or at least I did Mm. when I had that second surgery. And yeah, but the pain, I mean, that's a whole other thing. Oh, yeah. The surgery, they they don't, you can't be prepared for it. (laughs) Everyone's so different with the way they recover and how you're going to wake up. And, you know, you get the the gas pain from the shoulder, which I had no idea about. I know. It's like, why do I have pain here? How weird is that? It is such a strange kind of. Side effect. Yeah. (laughs) So how are you managing your pain at the moment? Well, so since then I've, I've now had four surgeries in total. Mm. Another thing I'll add actually. So last year I had another surgery with that same private surgeon in Melbourne. You know, I'm lucky to have had the means to have been able to do that, blah, blah, blah. But I had, I had a complication after that surgery Um, and they ended up having to do another one quite soon after. And it was to do with the scarring and the wounds. They weren't healing properly. And one of them burst open one day. Um, So I know. So that was really stressful. And this is the thing with the surgery. Like it's not a solution because having to have surgery all the time, like Mm. you're kind of making yourself privy to these other issues like scarring or whatever it may be Mm. so so yeah so that was really distressing but since then I have to say it has been a lot better so I suppose that surgery worked for lack of a better expression but Mm. since then the pain has been really unpredictable I've been trialing kind of more stuff to do with like diet and supplements 
um, which I don't think they can like cure it necessarily, but I think in tandem with like the surgery, that's sort of your best bet. Mm. But again, it's like something that's expensive. It takes quite a lot of dedication. Um, but yeah, since I've been doing that and I have adjusted my diet to like get rid of, I don't know, like intolerances, I suppose they are mm. of mine. Cause I had a proper test. I've been, um, feeling a lot better but the pain you know I mean you know this better than anyone Ali like sometimes it just like hits you like a truck (laughs) (laughs) and there's just like nothing you can do in a way but sort of surrender Mm. and like go back to your toolbox fall into a heap and it's just like oh no not again not again why (laughs) you know it always happens around a time where it's like please don't happen please don't happen and the next minute it's like boom oh man Oh my God. It happened to me actually this past year. I'm one of those really annoying, lucky people who went to Europe over the like Northern hemisphere summer. And I was in Greece and I was in this like beautiful museum with my boyfriend and we were about to go meet these people that were friends of friends and everything was like great. And then suddenly I just got hit with the like pain truck Mm. and I couldn't even like keep walking through the museum and I had to like sit on kind of the chairs that like you know the observation chairs and just like sit there for like an hour and cancel our plans and it just sucked because it was like I'm 31 years old and I'm on holiday and I want to just be feeling you know vivacious and relaxed but it really can be debilitating in those moments. Yeah, it doesn't pick and choose the moments. It just, it happens. No. It happens. And did you have a a beautiful supportive uh, boyfriend with you and, and friends as well that were understanding? Yes, well, my boyfriend is a doctor, which is like well, amazing. <laughs> I've I know I've been with him for a year and he actually uses quite a bit of integrative medicine in his practice. So he treats a lot of women with endo. Um so I feel like he's probably the the like ideal person. That's another yeah. thing I'd suggest people go out with like a handsome doctor. <laughs> um but yeah but I mean with those friends for example I hadn't actually met them yet they were friends of friends Mm. and so I felt embarrassed and but it was like you know I'd never cancel otherwise but Mm. I really could not go and didn't want to meet people under those circumstances it's interesting when you do meet new people and start to make friends it's like hey this is what I kind of live with there may be circumstances where I may have to cancel last minute because I'll have a flare yeah. And that's kind of when you know someone's going to be a good mate or not. Exactly. And it sucks because, you know, you don't want to be that kind of flake, you know. I think also because I'm like a writer and I am kind of bohemian in a way, mm. I think I sort of give potentially flaky vibes maybe. But it's like, no, it's not. It's not me. It's it's this thing that I'm dealing with. I'm yeah. living with endometriosis. And we're going to talk about your writing very, very soon because you are releasing a book, which is so, so exciting. Yes. But would love to touch on, you had a vintage clothing business and yes. due to your endometriosis, you had to close this business down. Yes. Well, it, was, it wasn't It was sort of the only reason, um, but it was a definite kind of main reason, mm. but Basically, as I said before, I'd been working as an interior designer and part of the reason I wanted to go out on my own was one, to explore like other interests, but also to have that freedom that self-employment enables and, you know, being able to go to the doctor and not feeling like colleagues aren't quite getting it and things like that, not feeling like I'm letting a boss down. Mm. 
So I went out on my own. I started a vintage clothing business and in many ways it was going really well. Um, I didn't have a bricks and mortar like permanent space. I did pop-ups and I also had like a lovely online boutique, but any kind of sort of product driven business like that physical product driven business is often quite physical especially when you're starting out so I was doing a lot of it myself and like I said before like some days you have a sort of energetic week and I would be you know getting everything done but then other days I was like I can't even get out of bed like how am I going to go move stock around Mm. or go buying or go sort things out So I was actually struggling with it a lot more than I thought I was because even though you have that flexibility, you still have this sort of endless to-do list um, that only you can get done. Mm. So, yeah, so sort of uh, the decision to close it was like a big part of it was due to that. It was also just circumstantial changes in my life. I, Mm. um, you know, had a big shift with certain things and um, sort of decided to close that business down. Mm. But yeah, it really sucked to feel like that was part of the reason <laughs> I had to close a business. It's like, what a shame, yeah. you know? And that is a circumstance that many endo warriors would be facing as well. You've got, mm. you know, self-employment, which is fantastic because you've got that you've got that flexibility that you speak about. You're able to go to the doctor when you need to and get to those appointments. But then you also need to, you know, get the funds to be able to afford a lifestyle, right? Yes, exactly. And afford to kind of keep up with the like maintenance of your, of your endo. It's, it's more difficult to do when you're, um, you know, not on sort of a regular salary. Would you go back and work in an office environment like you previously had or or be uh, not self-employed and go back to, you know, the workforce? I think now with, you know, post pandemic and with like a lot more hybrid working, I think it would actually be a lot easier to do. Mm. And I also, you know, I'm a bit older now and I'm more confident. So I think I would be a bit more um, staunch with how I kind of let the employer know from the get go. Mm. Um, I think it would be easier in that sense, but at the same time, I mean, that's not really the path I'm on. Um, But in terms of endo, yeah, I think it would be more manageable what I still think it would be really hard Mm. yeah so for you you have managed to turn your career around and also help with your health too by going and doing you know self-employment and then just being like okay I'm at a crossroad right now what do I need to do to fulfill my life and, and get everything that I need as well yes exactly so actually so when I started that vintage business in tandem with that I was doing a bit of freelance writing and when I closed that business, I just went into full-time freelance writing, which mm. is obviously easier on your body. Um, but but that business, I it was sort of sitting there dormant, like it still had a little audience and things like that um, and kind of an aesthetic and a brand. And I was like, what can I do with this? So I, I turned, I always say I turned my shop into a show. I turned that into a podcast, which has now become a book. Mm. <laughs> so it's kind of combined everything, which is great. This is where I'm sort of a believer in like things happening for a reason. I don't think anyone deserves to have endo at all. I think it's an awful, you know, disease, but it's 
I do think it sort of nudged me in the direction weirdly that I actually wanted to go in, mm. which is writing full time. Um, and it's enabled me this like first book and yeah. foray into publishing. So that's been really great. Which is so exciting. So it's dropping this month? Yes. Um, the end of November, the 28th. Um, it's called How to Be Fabulous. And it's all about secondhand and vintage shopping and honing and finding your own style in the process. I love the idea of this book. And one thing as well with having endometriosis, I dread going to the shops and yeah. buying, trying on clothes, right? Especially with the endo belly and finding the right clothes yeah. to fit your figure. And I, I speak to so many uh, people who go through a similar feeling as well. Uh, someone who is, you know, in, in the, the industry of fashion and style, what would your tips be for finding that right fit? And being comfortable, I guess. Well, I think with me, with my endo, I sort of have like this rotating wardrobe of like bloat-friendly clothes mm -hmm. and like, you know, not bloated clothes um, because I feel the same way. And some days you just have those days where you just are so bloated. Do you know what happened to me actually on the same trip to Greece recently? I'll just show off about that again. I um I went to like an appointment and my boyfriend came with me too. And the, the like woman there asked me if I was pregnant because oh. <laughs> I was so bloated. But I was also coming in all like relaxed and glowing and in love, you know, on this like Grecian holiday. Yeah. So that probably added to it. But I, I I thought it was really funny, but I can see how someone else would find that extremely offensive. Oh, the reason she asked, it was a massage appointment. Oh, okay. And so they have to know. Of course. <laughs> but she was like, so you're pregnant, aren't you? And I was like, uh, no. No. <laughs> not, no. But, Definitely not. But yeah, I didn't really have, I mean, I was on a capsule closet then because I was traveling, you know, but mm. I do have clothes that sort of skim over my tummy, mm -hmm. like that I wear and they do, they do help though. They make me feel more confident. Mm even if I'm feeling really uncomfortable sort of inside, they do help. Actually, in my book, I talk a lot about fit and like finding the right fit for you. But I do think that that is something to sort of figure out like what clothes you feel better in mm. when you're bloated and vice versa. And then kind of when you're not bloated, how can you celebrate and embrace that in a way and like, you know, show off your tummy or whatever you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> because when you are feeling comfortable and you've got the right fit on, that confidence that it gives you to to be fabulous, yeah. just like your books, you know, the title To be fabulous, it. exactly. But it's like an armour too. It just helps because if you have to go out in the world for whatever reason and you're feeling that way, it can really help transform you. Also in this book as well, you are all around sustainability and Secondhand styling too, which on a shoestring budget is super handy with endometriosis. It, it can get expensive. So sometimes you can't afford the more glamorous things in life. So this is just a fantastic book yes. to help out our endo people. Exactly. I know I haven't actually thought about it that way yet, but um, yeah, that's just another reason. I hope it connects with women who have endo, which it inevitably will because so many of us have it, you know. It's extremely common. Have you got friends in your circle that have been affected by it as well? Yes. Well, I think also because I am a writer and have kind of been vocal about my journey with it, I've had quite a few people come to me actually and talk to me about it. But, yeah, I mean, I definitely have women in my life who are experiencing it too and, as you know, like it's it's kind of an unpredictable thing to live with. Um, and some people, they'll sort of have a like almost like a bout of it. 
and then it gets removed and then it kind of goes away or becomes dormant. Um, but yeah, all sorts of people I know are affected by it. But what's also interesting is that in my openness about it, more people who I didn't really realize have sort of opened up to me about it, including my grandmother. Um, and in her day, they just got like a hysterectomy yeah. and that was it. Um, mm. So yeah, it's sort of wild to talk to her about it and consider how things far things have come, even though they're still far from perfect. Well, even my mum, she had her hysterectomy, I think, in her early 30s to help with her endometriosis. And this is only going back to the late 80s, early 90s. So it's crazy. And, of course, a hysterectomy is not a cure for endometriosis. Some people will go down that avenue to help with other things, but it's not the cure and there still is no cure. Exactly. It's not a cure. It's just sort of a, it's a way of helping symptoms, hopefully. Charlotte, a massive congratulations on your book and we're able to order it, your socials. Thank Charlotte you. Charlotte Dallison is there and, um, and you can get it from Booktober and stuff as well. So there's, if you Google how to be fabulous, it'll pop up. Yes, it's on Booktopia and some other online stores. I think it's on Readings as well. And um, it'll be in all of your favourite bookshops come the 28th of November. And very inspirational too for you to share your endo journey so far and hopefully to inspire others as well when they're at that crossroad to kind of assess where they're at in life and and do what they need for their body because it sounds like that's what you did at that moment. Yeah, exactly. And again, my endo has improved in the last kind of year or so, so it does help. What would your big piece of advice be to someone who's listening? I think to listen to your intuition about it. Like when I was 15, I knew that I had it, you know, intuitively. And yet I was put on the pill and I was obviously sort of too young to have full autonomy. But I think if you know you have it, it's you just need to keep pursuing it. And, you know, a lot of doctors probably won't listen to you and things won't seem in your favor, but you just have to keep going and figuring out how you can kind of get on top of it. And you sort of know ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. Got to be the, you got to fight for your own body. Exactly. Fight for your own body. Yeah. Well, Charlotte Dallison, author, freelance writer, vintage aficionado and endo (laughs) warrior. I love the word aficionado. It should be used more often. I know. I love it too. I I sort of didn't want to say I'm quite an expert because even though I sort of am, I'm not like a fashion historian, but yeah, aficionado, enthusiast, all of those sorts of things. Check out her book, Help Save Some Money and get those fashion tips as well on how to be fabulous. Check out charlottedallison.com. That is the website. Thank you so much, Charlotte, for coming on and, and being so open about your endo story. No worries. Thank you so much, Ellie. That was endo champion Charlotte Dallison. Her book, it's called How to Be Fabulous, dropping on November 28. Pre-order it via Booktopia or check out Charlotte's website, charlottedallison.com for all the details. And if you'd like to share your endo story on this podcast, reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you via endometriosisaustralia.org. While you're there, you can check out Endometriosis Australia's Workplace Assistant Program, program which is enabling organisations to sustainably and strategically take meaningful action to support their employees with endometriosis. Get online to find out all of the details and there's so much other information to grow your knowledge about endometriosis. The one place to go to is endometriosisaustralia.org. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Living With Endo, the A to Z of endometriosis. If you enjoyed it, leave a comment. Give it five stars because that lets other people know that there's a podcast about endometriosis. Share the word, okay? My name is Ellie Angel Mobs. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll chat to you soon. Take care.